Yes, indeed. Father God, the war is within, the war is on the outside, the war is everywhere. It's the dynamic that is moving this earth forward to the days of meeting you, the day of judgment. Father, so we thank you for giving us grace and courage and strength in these trials, in these days of testing, Lord God, that we would not grow weary in well-doing, that we would not faint in the day of adversity. Lord God, that we would seek you and find you when we search for you with all of our hearts because you will make yourself known to us, Lord God. I thank you for giving us power over all the power of the enemy. Thank you, Jesus, that you defeated him. You defeated him. Yes, he is defeated, but he needs to be now, um, this uh, this enforcement of this defeat needs to be executed in the earth through us, Lord God. Otherwise, he will trample us to the ground as he would so desire to do. So, Father, give us real understanding of of the war of what's going on and how this thing works so that we won't be ignorant of the enemy's devices. We won't be caught up in his strategies. We won't be swallowed up in in grief and sorrow, Father God, that we will prevail against our enemy because we know that you are good and that we trust you, Lord. So now give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive um, the revelation that you have for us this day. Amen. So there are pressures upon the true people of God these days, probably... It's increasing, at least here in the United States and other parts of the world. There's always been persecution against right. believers, but there is an increase of you know, persecution as well as just mm-hmm. regular day-to-day tests. Pressures, yeah. Pressures. So going through trials becomes a, actually an issue, a real problem. And if you have a trial you're going through or you, you have in the past, you may have found Psalms to be very comforting. I just flipped my Bible open to Psalm 13. Right at the top, we've got, I think it's David, of course. David wrote a lot of the Psalms and David went through a lot of fiery trials. He was very human. He did a lot of uh, great things for God, but he also did some stupid things. And so we see his his constant prayers and conversations with God through the Psalms. And in Psalm 13, verse 1, how long, O Lord, Will you forget me forever? Isn't this become the true um, bottom line on a lot of people's fiery trials as we feel forgotten, abandoned by God, forever left? Uh, How long will you hide your face from me? Yes, what do we do when God goes silent, when he's not there? We've cried out, we've prayed, we've been through this trial. And sometimes the trials are short. You know, they may be a couple days long. Acute crisis. Um, but sometimes they go on for a long time. How long will I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? So the sorrow in our soul, the soul is really the battlefield, the internal battlefield, where we fight out between our mind, our hearts, our wills, and God's will. Uh, and, and that's where a lot of the suffering comes from. Yeah, the trials so come talk, from. talk about an example of suffering in our soul. There was Jeremiah the prophet who prophesied for 40 years to yeah, right. Judah, and he was known as the weeping, uh, weeping prophet. And uh, God says, well, I've called you before you were born, before you were even conceived. You were mm-hmm. called to be a prophet. and uh, Prophet I, to I, the nations, I, I, wasn't it? I, yeah, a prophet to the nations, particularly to the nation of Judah, who was had just 
bent, obstinate, gotten, turned against God. Stubborn, stubborn people basically said, you know what? You're going to preach to them and nobody's going to believe you. Nobody's going to accept you, mm-hmm. um, your message. They will reject your message. They will they reject, reject you. you. <laughs> it's interesting, some things, just a little list of, just kind of a short list of some of the things that happened to Jeremiah. And his heart was broken over this. I mean, he was, I'm sure that at times he was very frustrated tempted to be really angry about what was going on. Become bitter. Become bitter. Mm-hmm. But he, he was just weeping and he kept preaching. There's times he really wanted to resign. He said, you know, Lord, this is, you told me it's going to be bad, but I don't think it was going to be this bad. Mm-hmm. And he said, I, I said, he said, I was thinking about just quitting. And he said, I really couldn't do it because there was, the word was in my heart, like a fire shut up in his bone, mm-hmm. in my in my bones. And I could not restrain, refrain. But some of the things he went through, he to to say he led a life of conflict was an understatement. I mean, he was threatened by his uh, uh, hometown. His, his family attacked him, threatened him. He was tried for his life by the priests and the prophets. So the whole, he had the whole the priests and the prophets. The whole religious community of the day was against him. Uh, he was put in stocks. He was uh, forced to flee from uh, King Jehoiakim. Uh, he was publicly humiliated by a false prophet named Hananiah. And he was thrown into a cistern where he sunk down into the mud up to his shoulders. And finally they, they fished him out of there with a bunch, tied a bunch of coats together and rags and fished him out of there. So um, he he was a faithful guy. And it's interesting that there was one point he said, the Lord said to him, well, you know, uh, he Jeremiah is bringing a complaint before the Lord, mm. right? Yes, as he we sa- often he do. He says, um, if no, you've known me and seen me, he says in, in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 3, but Lord, you know me and have seen me and you have tested my heart toward you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there was the God. You know me. You've tested my heart. What toward you? And these tests are tests of our hearts toward the Lord. That's I mean, right. are we still going right. to keep trusting the Lord in the midst of all this? And then he and then he goes on to say, and and I know you will comment on this in just a bit. How long, verse four, will the land mourn and the herbs of the field wither? The beasts and birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there, because they said he will not see our final end. This reminds me of Psalm 7, where the Lord says, um, the psalmist again, I believe it's David, uh, verse 1, O Lord, my my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from those who persecute me. This is Jeremiah, this is David. And deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, um, rendering me in pieces while there is none to deliver. Remember the story of David where he was chased by King Saul. David had been anointed the king, but Saul was still the ruling king. Um, And Saul hated David, and he was persecuting him, chasing him around through the land, trying to kill him, actually. It was such a a weird relationship. Um, Then David goes on to say, Lord, if I have done this, if there's iniquity in my hands, if if I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me, or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. He says, if I'm guilty of something, then go ahead. Um, judge me, deal with me. And then he says, um, uh, 
yes, let him trample my life to the ground. He says, if if this is what I need, if this is who I am, then go ahead and test me. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies and awake for me to the judgment you have commanded. For the congregation of the people shall surround you, surround you. For their sakes, therefore, return on high. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. Here's, here it is. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. My defense is of God who saves the upright in heart. Here becomes the conflict and the confusion. If God is righteous and God is good and God is for righteousness and justice and truth, and God judges the wicked, and <clears throat> and we are at this point, David, saying, I, I didn't do anything wrong, then arise, O God, for me, just judge me according to my integrity, according to my righteousness. But so, so many times we get very confused on why we're being tested and we don't understand the chasing and the testing that's going uh, happening to us. In the case of Jeremiah, the men of Anathoth, which is just a little village about a little ways north of uh, Jerusalem, they were seeking his life, right? They wanted to kill him. They, they basically were saying, okay, stop speaking in the name of the Lord or we're going to kill you. And, and and then Jeremiah goes on in Jeremiah 12, last part of uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy or seem to be happy who deal so treacherously? So you're, you're dealing with a, a treacherous, obstinate, religious, political system. His family turns against him seriously. And, and he's kind of complaining before God, and then here's what God says to him. Jeremiah chapter 12, uh, verses 5 and 6. If you have run with the footmen, and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, then how will you do in the flooding of the Jordan? For even your brothers, the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Yes, they have called a multitude after you. Do not believe them, even though they speak smooth words to you. So, basically, he's saying, okay, Jeremiah, if you think, if you can't make it in the trials that you've experienced now, uh, how are you going to make it when they get more intense? And so the trials and tests that we have in our life, the things that we go through, the persecutions, the the, the suffering that we go through uh, are preparing us for the greater trials, the greater tests that Is are this, coming. Okay, okay, okay. But whoa, 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 this doesn't sound very encouraging. You know, we, we're going to pass these tests so we can take harder tests. Yay. But, you know, the problem is all the tests, basically hard or simple, are always graded to your level uh, in the third exactly. grade. They don't, they don't give you things that you would have to do in college. Um, they give you third grade problems. So here we are. But but here's what we need to understand. The the problem behind the testing and the persecution and the injustice and is confusion. And a lot of the confusion is around the goodness of God. So we're saying it was, the, the enemy is in your soul asking you these questions. Um, you know, David, Jeremiah, they all understood to some extent that they were not guilty and so, therefore, they felt like they were clear in going before God and asking for help. Um, so we are in, you know, in the process of being tested by God. God, God says, he admits, I, I test your heart and your mind. But at the same time, God says he does not tempt the 
in James, he says he does not tempt uh, us with evil, nor can God do evil. So God is not the one who's tempting us, but God is permitting the trial of our faith. So we question, well, why is God uh, trying our faith? If God already knows the beginning from the end and from the foundation of the world, he knew everything. He already knows everything. He knows what we're going to do in it. But but our, so he knows what we're going to do. So why would he need to test us right. to prove our faith or our faithfulness or let our faith come forth as pure gold? God does not need that for himself. He already knows what's going to happen, and he already knows what he's going to have to do to rescue us, to deliver us, to save us, to to redeem us, to complete the redemption process in us. But um, our problem is how can we trust God? or call upon God to deliver us, as these men so bravely and consistently did, if we are uncertain about God himself, about his intentions toward us and his integrity. So really the question becomes not just a question of, are we going to be faithful to God, but is God going to be faithful to us? And that becomes the big hindering, obstacle, whatever you want to call it, that Satan puts up in our mind, well, you know, God is mad. He's, he's angry with the wicked every day, all the time. And you sinned last week, and now God's really mad at you, and he's going to make you pay. This is kind of the, 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 the um, I don't know, the description of God that Satan wants to paint in our minds. God it doesn't really love us that much, and he only loves us if we're good. So that makes God's love for us very conditional, very fickle, you know, depending on our behavior, not his goodness or his love, but depending on our behavior. So his love is conditional. So we, therefore, because we're weak and our flesh is weak and we know we're going to sin and we're going to get tempted and Satan knows he's going to trick us. We know we're going to fall and fail. Then we know that God is going to back off, pull away his love from us. And this is the gospel that most of us have been taught from the beginning. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's not about the Son of God. It's about you and your sin. It's about sin, not son. That's what Satan has made this gospel to be all about you, your sin, getting rid of your sin, um, you know, being good, um, try, making good choices, being responsible. And, you know, it's so appalling to me. It's almost the most shocking, devastating, aggravating, unbelievable thing that for most human beings, as much as we're beaten up and trashed by Satan, we continue to defend him. We continue to justify his his double standards, his hypocrisy, his enforcing the law when he's the biggest lawbreaker in the universe. We continue to uh, give the devil a pass. We hate it when the wicked people are given a pass to get by with their sin and not have to come clean. But the devil, we don't have any problem giving the devil a pass. Oh, it's not the devil. It's you. It's your bad choice. It's your fault. It's your responsibility. You need to, you know what? Why did you make a bad choice in the first place? Because you wanted to screw up your life? Do you think those kids right now who are dying, 20, 25% of the kids between the ages of 18 and 25 uh, in this, a poll, and who knows what the polls are, but 25% of them in the recent polls have indicated they've either thought about suicide, been tempted to do it, or probably just did it. Why? Because there's no hope. There's no true, clear path as to how do you walk with God because God might be bad. He might, you know, we, we impose upon God. We get, we make God in our image and God made us in his image, but because we see ourselves screwing up so bad and failing, we don't see that. We don't see that we're made in the image of God to love what he loves and hate what he hates. We're, we're, we're casting God in our image. Well, we're narcissistic. We're selfish. We're this, we're that. We're, um, divided. We're conditional in our love. We're, uh, judgmental. We're, uh, 
conniving, systematic. We're, and we, see, we project all those characteristics back onto the Lord. And we see him as being uh, fickle and, and, and unfaithful. And so really, bottom line, the test is not just are we being tested, but are we, God in us is being tested, that the concept, the idea, the relationship with God, Satan is testing that in us. And he does that by calling us into a place of uncertainty where we're questioning the intentions of God. Is he good? Is he not? How can I trust God to deliver us if I don't even trust God? How can I trust God to deliver me if I don't trust God? You know, here's our problem. You know, when you go through a a trial, where's your hope? Is your hope in you being strong enough to figure it out or to stand? Or is your hope in God? Even even I remember in Philippians, Paul, where he was thrown in jail. And he said, and he was starting to be judged by all the people. Well, you did this because you sinned. God's mad at you. And then he started, he said, well, at least some people are now starting to get the idea, get, get the truth that uh, it's not about me. It's not about you guys. It's not about you. So stop pouting and being, being sorry for yourself. And making it all about you. Paul says, I'm glad. I'm going to read this for you in Philippians if I can find it real fast. He says, um, the guys, he says, okay, he says, and I want you to know, brethren, this is Philippians 1, 12, that the things which happened to me, he's sitting in prison, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to all, to the whole palace guard, to those who are watching him the closest, to all and to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. Okay. And most of the brethren in the Lord, most, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even through strife and envy, and some through goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. Paul is sitting in the prison defending the gospel. He's being picked on by all the counterfeit gospel preachers who are saying, you did this because God's mad at you, and you're here because God is mad at you. Um, And so Paul was, he says, but some of the guys, the palace guard, the ungodly people are getting it. They're seeing that this is the righteousness of God and my chains are in Christ. I'm suffering for righteousness sake. I'm not suffering for my sin. I'm not suffering because I'm bad. I'm not suffering because God wants to see what's in me. I'm suffering because the devil hates me. Bottom line. So we, uh, go ahead, Ewan. Yeah, well, I was going to say with Jeremiah, God said right from the beginning, you know, they're not going to, I'm going to, you're going to root down, root out, pull down, destroy, throw down, build and plant. I'm putting my words in your mouth. Don't be afraid of your faces, of their faces. And uh, so God, God's call on, on Jeremiah is an example. And God keeps saying, Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And he repeats it several times. He says, They will fight against you, Jeremiah one nineteen, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord to deliver you. That's what we have to remember, Mm -hmm. that the Lord is with us. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. Don't get faked out by the pressures that come against you. Don't get faked out by the circumstances that you get into because, you know, to be delivered, you need to be into a place where you need deliverance. Yeah, well, God said, Jesus says, I go with you through your afflictions. I'm with you in your afflictions. If we would look at our tests in a different way, if we start to look at them more from the, the way of truth, these are fiery trials that were permitted by God when the devil jammed himself up into heaven and says, I want to test Job. 
because he's not really loving you. He's just serving you because of what you give him. God says, okay, test him. But God was allowing Job to be tested in his heart. God was the one being tested in Job's heart. Was Job going to get bitter because he had been a righteous man? And God even said that in the very beginning. He's a righteous man. Have you seen my righteous servant Job? So there was no issue of his righteousness. This wasn't going to make him, um, you know, treat him, teach him some lesson. But but Satan was wanting to test Job's relationship with God, God's relationship with Job. Now, God knew, I mean, Satan knew that God wasn't going to leave Job, but he thought maybe he could get Job to leave God, at least in his heart. So Job could have gotten bitter and says, you know what, I've been sitting here serving God all these years, and look, look, this is what I get. And I tell you what, when you say you're in a fiery trial and you say, why me, God, you're right there. You're right in that grip of being turned into a place where you can become very bitter at the chastening of the Lord. And this is what Hebrews chapter 12 talks about. When we don't understand the chastening of the Lord, the chastening of the Lord is not something that's here to um, destroy us. He says, don't be, uh, don't grow weary. Uh, do not be discouraged. He said, Jesus Christ himself did despise the shame. He turned back. He didn't take on guilt. He didn't say, well, I'm suffering because I did something wrong. He despised the, the shame. He didn't, and he wasn't discouraged, even though he was tested more than any man. So when, when we go in the midst of a fiery trial, we need to be confident that it's God. Not and it, God has the power. But he also has the in his character the desire to see his children prevail. God, it's God's test, and you are part of God's test. Satan is testing God, testing God's ability, God's intentions, God's integrity. You think you're the only one being tested. You're the only think you're the only one that Satan's trying to find fault with. He is trying to find fault with God. He's trying to say, God, you won't keep them. God, you're going to abandon them. God, they're being bad. And look at what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now, God? They sinned against you. What are you going to do now, God? So he's always testing God. But God, these are all God's trials, God's tests. These are God's problems. When you're in a problem situation in the morning, you can wake up and say, God, good morning. This day is your problem. So a question for you. We're in the midst of these difficult, difficult situations, uh, family situations, uh, work situation, health situations, and these things are coming against us. Now, there's a time where we kind of yield and say, Lord, okay, I will trust you through this. Then is there an also a time, Marjorie, where we say, we have to take authority over situations. Some, some, you know, we can't pray right. our trials away. We can't pray all our circumstances away. We can't pray away all those that may be coming against us. But is there a is there a time? How do how do we discern be, be, between when? Okay, we're just going to go through this. It's tough, but we're going through it. God's with us through it. But and then is there a time too when we need to say, okay, Satan, we just say stop what you're doing well, here. You know, is there a time when we just just go through it? Uh, Jesus went through his trials, but he said, I can of my own self do nothing. Right. So I'm not going through my trial by my grit, my my discipline, my my determination, by anything like that. I'm not going to prevail because of my strongness of any character or determination it you know really a lot of times our real trial is when we can't get through the trial and we have to fall upon god call upon god give up the the key to the the, the solution is to surrender the fight to god now 
on on that on the other side of the coin, as you've asked, okay, so then what happens then? When do we just rise up and and, and submit to God, resist the devil, and yes. he will flee? Well, at all times, at all times, in the beginning, you know, first of all, the devil is going to come against you with an accusation. You sinned. You did something wrong. God is mad at you. You deserve this. And all the people he may get to chime in and to say that very thing to you, even the ones who are closest to you. And and then you begin to to... Uh, to doubt yourself, doubt your intention, doubt God's love for you, doubt you know that you made the you made the wrong decision. Blah 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 blah. All this doubt is from hell. Then there comes confusion. Then division, divided against each other, divided against your own self inside yourself. You divided against God. Satan wants to divide, 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 weaken, weaken, conquer, conquer. And this is division. That's his tactic. We see that. So when it's you know when you have God has given us words. And God says, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. You know, mm-hmm. most people in their trial don't open their mouth in the right way. They whine, they complain, they question, they murmur, they go to other people for opinion, they ask people for prayer, but they don't open their own mouth with the words God has put in them and speak, bind, de- cast out, resist, mm-hmm. declare. You know, most of the time the devil's got you on some agreement you made way back when. God only knows, God knows when. And it was um, probably subconscious, an agreement to be stupid, an agreement to be picked on, put down, bullied, an agreement to be uh, a victimized, agreement to be whatever, whatever. And you don't even know that it's there. So when God brings, allows Satan to come, he's like the, the, the scrutinizer. He comes to scrutinize your life to find out where the flaw, where the weakness, where the open doors. And then he brings a test in that very weak spot. And when you see that, that can be helpful. You don't have to just say, oh, this is all a lie. Say, oh, thank you, God, for showing me that I had picked up on a victim mentality. I have a poor me spirit. I have a spirit of self-pity or, you know, or I have a spirit of, 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 of um, no one loves me, whatever it is, rejection. Thank you, God, for showing me this. Now I res- resist you, devil, you spirit that's trying to make me believe that God doesn't love me, that I'm not loved, that I have to be perfect to be loved. Shut your mouth and go back to hell. Now, what do you have to do? Name the devil. Why? Because Jesus did. How do you name the devil? Simple, by what he says and by what he does. Okay, the spirit of, I'm never going to make it. Okay, you, I'm never going to make it, spirit. Shut your mouth. Get out of my life. I say, no, you will not. You will not take over my mind. You will not try to uh, create this scenario where people are against me. I rebuke you. I send you back to the pit in the name of Jesus Christ. I ask the Lord God, the blood of Jesus would delete the programming you've set up in my mind and mouth and soul. Remember what your heart is full of. Your mouth speaks. So if you want to know what's going on in your heart, then watch. Just watch God bring it out with these fiery trials and, and see what wickedness is in there. See what bitterness complaining is in there. See what doubt, double-mindedness is in there. And then when you see it, say, that's not me. I mean, that's operating through me right now. Yeah, coming out of my mouth, but that's not who I am. I'm made in the image of God. So you spirit of complaining, shut your mouth and go to the pit. Giving up, shut your mouth, go to the pit. And then after you tell the devil to go to the pit and you cancel out your agreement with murmuring, complaining, doubt, whatever it is, then declare the something to the opposite. God, I praise you. You said mm-hmm. I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always. And I will tell you something. I will promise you, if, I, if a human can make a promise based on the word of God, if you start doing that with your fiery trials and stop pitying yourself and st- stop taking the blame and start dealing with the devil, 
instead of saying, oh, well, the devil is a defeated foe. He is not defeated in your life necessarily just because he's defeated by Jesus Christ and the blood of the lamb and the resurrection. He has still got to be defeated in your life through the battles that go on in your heart, your mind, your relationships. Do you understand? If you don't, you're going to have a false theology and you're not going to get the right answer, the right solution. And you're going to be ground up in this war because behind everything we have to understand if you are brought up under one of the false gospels, and there are many, and you've been taught only the fun stuff about the gospels, for example, the David kills the, the giant, and they cross the Red Sea, and um, uh, Daniel in the lion's den, and all these lovely, wow, God-awesome stories that children just feed off of. And of course, they're wonderful, but you have to look behind why is Daniel in the lion's den? Why is that right. giant standing in front of David? You know, what has gone on here that has created this terrible, terrible trial? Look deeper and you will find in every story of victory and every story of, of defeat of the enemy, there was uh, uh, under the scenes, behind the scenes, a deep spiritual dynamic of war in play behind the scenes. It, you know, whether it's between the Philistines and the, the children of God or behind the king and Daniel, the spiritual forces of the prince of Persia against uh, Daniel, you have to understand we that this is not just you get the final, you know, the, the, the end of the movie. Don't just start at the end. There's a there was a whole war that had to go on. People had to stand their ground. They had to trust God. They had to go into a fiery furnace. They had to say, it's not about me. If I live, I live. If I die, I die. That's up to the Lord. Here we go. Yeah. So every every trial, to go through every trial, I mean, what I was saying before is that the, the trials of the present, the trials of the past, uh, prepare you for the ones that are now and for the ones that are coming. And so that's what basically God was kind of correcting Jeremiah and said, you're complaining about how tough things are. Listen, it's going to get tougher, so what are you going to do? You, well, you, you better be ready for, there's more coming. Well, to be ready for the more that's coming, we have to be much more confident in God. Exactly. That God is able, God is not uh, uh, divided, he's not um, uh, div- divisive, he's not there to... Uh, set us up to destroy us. The real test, the real one being tested is God always. And the question is, will he, you know, will he love us enough to get us through this? Will he uh, betray us because of uh, some condition we didn't meet, some expectation that we failed? Is that the God you serve? If that's the kind of God you serve, then you will be crushed and you will not be able to run uh, or in the day of adversity to stand because all, everything, guys, Everything that can be shaken, every relationship, every political system, every everything is going to be two things. Two things are going to be happening and are happening, and you can see it everywhere. Everything that can be shaken is that's not rooted in the rock, Christ Jesus. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken, and everything that is hidden will be exposed. Mm-hmm. Everything we see it, and we can. Why don't you just start rejoicing in that instead and seeing that that is the hand of God shaking everything, exposing everything, instead of going eek ah oh no what. Ah. So it's coming to the point now where it's like, who owns you? Does Jesus own you? Are you part of the kingdom of God or are you owned by the state? Are well, you, Are you owned by the, the, the rules of men? So what's happening more and more in our day is that the rules, the executive orders of human beings are crossing the word of God. Well, this creates this, the persecution. There's a tension there. This, this is where the, the persecution vice. comes. Mm-hmm. So you, time is coming. Okay, you're going to choose. And so we we see many now today 
that are uh, choosing to conform to right. the to the ways of uh, but, men, to the orders of men, rather than through the to the word of God. Well, you know, the most important thing to remember about all that is what Jesus said of, of himself. He says, "Jesus, says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life." Now, the way to me is like the way of escape, the way out. There, God always provides a way out. There's because he's God. He is the way out. In him is the way out. Walking in and letting him go before you, go in front of you, give you the words to say, give you favor when you go into these situations. Make a way of escape. You'll see it if you walk, just walk humbly in that place of God. Go before me. Go with me. Go into me, with me into this store. Go with me into this situation and give me your words. I stay in your spirit. I won't be walking in my own flesh. Um, he will. He, does God love you enough to help you? Yes, God loves you enough to never leave us or forsake us and help us through all this. He knows what's happening. He knows he's in control. Um, he's not going to betray us. He's not going to cut us off. Uh, he, and, and here's the other thing about this whole thing with God. You know, originally there were the Ten Commandments. Those were the laws. The laws could never legislate love. They could. They never forced anybody to love, and they never... Um, uh, couldn't get anybody to love. They could only get you to, to keep law and order. But God does not demand lip service. That's all the law could give. Compliance to the law could only give lip service. God is not about lip service. God is about love. The law could not create love in the hearts of people. That's why God overrode it or up, upgraded or whatever you want to call it. The law could only demand a legal, with you know legalistic threats, um, execution, the devil loves the law. Because if you break the law and you're under the law and you think the law is still it, then the devil can bring prosecution and execution uh, and and because he's, he's the enforcer of the law. God does not want us to serve him or love him out of fear, including fear of going to hell. A lot of us originally get saved because we're afraid uh, we don't want to go to hell. That is fear. That is not love. As we go on with God, then God re- refines that first initial response to say it's not about Going to hell, it's about love. God doesn't want us to force, or God doesn't want, and, and he won't, force us to love him. He doesn't want us to be forced into loving him for fear of going to hell any more than, than you would want your spouse to marry you because they're afraid of you or because they feel guilty if they don't marry you or for guilty for doing something that made you mad. God is not, listen to me, God is not like that. God is not a narcissist. God is not one who has to have everything his way and do it his way. God wants this to be a relationship, a, a give and take, a come and go, a, uh, you know, I love you. He, he wants us. We are, we often, you know, we're created in God's image. We all say that we, yeah, yeah, we know that. But we are in danger of sinning by creating God in our image when we're trying to know and figure out and follow him. We create, we, we, we think about what we want. Remember, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. You don't even have an idea. You don't even have a clue, but I'm willing to walk with you, be patient with you. His ways are higher. He, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Can you remember that 
in the middle of a fiery trial? Can you remember that when you're being bullied, when you're being unjustly treated, when you're being locked up? When you're, can you remember that all things, can you remember that God in the word says he is coming back? He is the final judge. All this is going to be made right and just, and it isn't going to be coming through any declassifications or political moves or, or it's going to come through when God comes to take over and rule and reign as he's done in heaven the whole time. But his ways are not ours. So when we try to cast God in our own image, um, this brings a problem. It's just like when you try to cast your mate or your child in your image. We, we, we see others in the light of our own selves. We, um, we judge them unconsciously. Uh, to be motivated like us, to be think like us, to, to, and if you're a conniving person, then you're not going to trust them. If you're a paranoid person, you're going to see paranoia in them. Um, we, we try to conform them to our image and then deal with them accordingly. And we get mad at them when they don't comply. So please, in, in relationships, how many of us have tried to understand our mate by seeing them through our image of them, our concept of them? Uh, and that concept was built and put there by Satan. These filters and lenses have caused you to not know the other person or love the other person or trust them or, or give mercy to them. But you, if you're not merciful to yourself, if you don't love yourself, you're definitely not going to be able to love any other person or per, uh, person, place or thing, really. Because the love has to come from you. Love your neighbor as yourself. So there is an order to this love. First love God then love yourself because you love God, God loves you, and then you can love your neighbor. But if you don't love yourself, you will be mean to your neighbor, you will be narcissistic, you'll be, uh, you'll persecute. And you know, when people are persecuting one another, we judge the one who's persecuting them. We need to be, be pray for them because they don't even know who they are. They're, they're not walking as a child of God. They're walking as a, a creature cre- uh, crafted by Satan. And, and one more thing to remember, God does not get his security from our affirmations. You know, our obedience um, is for our own good and protection, not his. And the reason that our obedience is so uh, highly recommended by God is because he knows that if you don't obey him, then the devil's going to come find that flaw and beat you up, bring his demonic judgment upon you, and then be feel totally justified in doing it because you believe the lie. You believe that, you know, uh, that God wasn't good or that the devil was right and you are bad. Now, if you sin, and of course we're going to sin, why are we, why won't we sin? Why we don't want to sin. Why would you ever want to sin? You don't deliberately want to sin and do something stupid and make a bad choice. But because we're living in the snake pit with full of snakes and, and mud, you're going to have to say once in a while, God, you know what? Sorry, I, defi- I define myself by the mud that's on me. I, I'm not. I'm washable. Your righteousness washes and cleanses me. I am good. I am yours. Now keep me that way. I want to follow you. We need hope. We need innocence. We need the protection of knowing that we're loved. We need those things because that's who we are. That's why we need those things. Those are the things Satan is trying to deprive us from. To know that we are loved and that God is good is how we're going to complete this journey as we follow God. We have to know those things. God, you know, the rest of it is just it's just training. It's, it's testing. It's, it's uh, chastening. It's refinement. It's all of these things. But you know what? When you're in the boot camp, you're being trained to be a soldier. And there, there's a reason. Because, and, and you know, in a battle, you don't take the battle personally when they shoot the bullet at you because you're a soldier and the other side is bad, right? 
But if you're in the war and you don't know who's bad and who's good and who's shooting, is it friendly fire? Is somebody from my side shooting at me? Then you get a little confused. We got to know God is good, that God loves us all the time, and he is going to complete the work he's begun in us. That's what he's promised, and that we can be very confident, just like Jesus was very, very confident, knowing through what he, what he was going to go through, because he knew the Father loved him, that he was only always continually comfortable and comforted in the love of the Father. That's how he got through it. That's how you're going to get through it, and I'm going to get through it, knowing that we are loved. And Lord, we just thank you for that revelation of your love. You know, we quote John three sixteen for God so loved the world, Lord, that you gave your only Son, Father, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, Lord. We, we sometimes hear that word. We hear we're loved by God, and, and but yet in the midst of fiery trials, in the midst of difficult things, in the midst of the pressures and stresses and attacks of the enemy, attacks that come through other people, come against us. Lord, we just pray that there would be for everyone listening here today, and for Marjorie and I included, that there would be a whole new, fresh revelation of your love. Mm -hmm. That we will, that would something we just not know in our heads, that we know in our body, soul, and spirit, that we just know it, that we Mm -hmm. are confident in your love for us, even if the world hates us. And uh, that you said the world will hate us. So, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Help us, Lord. Mm-hmm. We thank you for that love. And when there's that true love, that's, that we speak the truth in love, that will emanate to others as well. And be victorious in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great day. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.